0: Sorry, I had to turn on the uh, the old uh, fan up there. If, I don't know if you've ever watched me close enough, but by the time I get to the end, I'm pretty well drenched. I am i don't know why that is. It just happens. I can't help it, but uh, get that thing going there. Well, today, you know, I want to look at uh, some different things. Uh, you know, I work in a field that's driven by the, the latest thing. In education, and we were always going through things that, you know, uh, if, it seems like we've done this thing before. About ten years ago, I mean, we we tend to work in a in a in a a thing that um, you begin to realize that what we do seems to repeat itself on a rotating cycle. Mastery learning was all the rage about fifteen years ago. That's where you work with a kid, and you really don't let them move on until they've mastered that topic, that subject. Then you, you build on that and you keep going. Well, then we got away from that, and then we got into all different kinds of assessments, and the, the, the state testing really took off there for a while, and you know, we got to get them past these tests, and we gotta test, 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 and more test. And then we get around to you know, these other new trends, and lo and behold, we're starting to work ourselves back towards mastery learning again. I mean, it's just like a big wheel that kind of turns, and I remember when I first started teaching, I one of my friends who'd been in education for a long time said, oh, don't worry, this will this will go away, and something that we did 15 years ago come back and take its place. It's just the way it always works. And... You know, we see some of the same trends. I think within the American Evangelical Church, okay, uh, within the the Christian community within this country. <clears throat> of course, remember the American Church is not the only version of Christianity in the world. I mean, the, God's Church is worldwide, and there are millions and millions of Christians who are not like Americans who worship God and have church and do things a lot differently than we do, you know, in our society within the last 20, 30 years, since I've been a Christian, I mean, uh, small groups, <clears throat> we're all the rage there for a while, that's, that's how we're going to save the church, we're going to save people, we just got to get people plugged into small groups. And that was a real emphasis on that for a long time. And small groups are important. We have a couple of small groups that meet here. Okay? I'm not I'm not knocking them. But the emphasis kind of got away from that and moved on into a different direction. <clears throat> then it became, oh, if we really want to reach the lost, instead of inviting them to your small group, let's have a, a seeker-sensitive service. That's what they called it. And basically... Let's get rid of all the religious jargon, all the Bibles speak, all the religious words that Christians throw around that new Christians and the unsaved have no idea what you're talking about. You know, I got to be justified and sanctified so I can become glorified and people are like, what are you talking about? I have no idea what you mean by any of that. So we got rid of that and we begin to have what I call cool church. You know, now we got the got the lights and the you know the that and the the music is more upbeat and contemporary and out with the hymns and in with the, the choruses and even that's changed over time. And again, none of that's bad stuff. It's good stuff. Problem is we always put all the emphasis on that. We struggle continually with a litany of trends and fads and and what's the latest thing going to be that's going to push us, you know, make us a prosperous church and it's going to help us to, you know, help people lead them to the to the kingdom of God. There are a couple of trends and I think in the American church that we're going to start to see maybe continue and hopefully some of these will eventually die out and maybe we can get back to what the Bible considers a more authentic version of Christianity. Over the last hundred years in this country, North American Christianity somehow fused with consumerism to the point where we wrongly define discipleship as what we can get out from God. what What are we going to get from the church? I mean, our whole economy is based on consumerism. Our Whole culture is about consumerism. If I want something, I'll go buy it. I will go to where the product exists, and I'll get it. I'll get it there. At its heart, consumer Christianity asks, what's in it for me? What am I getting out of this? So if we, you know, we go to church, and I'm not getting anything out of it, off we go to another, another church or another place. Christian maturity isn't marked by how much we know or what we can get, it's marked by how much we love and how much we give others, how deeply we've been loved and how much we've been given. Even critics who have left the church have done so under the pull of consumer Christianity because no church meets their needs, so they just drop Christianity altogether. I remember one time years ago we had a, uh, it was a board meeting downstairs and we got into a furious argument over somebody was not happy that a pastor was leaving and decided that was the moment to make their uh, concerns known. We've got these problems and we got this and we got that and and, we get, and and somebody stood up and said, you know what, you find me a church that doesn't have those problems. Let me know because I'll go there. I want want to go to that church. It's not about what's in it for me. You know, that's really antithetical to the gospel, which calls us to, to die to ourselves, to lose ourselves for the sake of Christ. You know, if North Hills Church is defined by what we offer members to satisfy them, and isn't defined by how much we love each other and the and, and the people of our community. I'm sorry, the clock's ticking. We bring in a new pastor. If this if this church is only going to be about, what do I get out of it? It's not going to make it. You could bring Andy Stanley, Franklin Graham, anybody in here, it would be the same problems. I think we'll start to see in this country that... Uh, We're going to continue to see churches want to create cool churches. We're seeing this in uh uh schools as well. I, I don't call it cool school. Nobody thinks school's cool, especially if you're a kid, but but uh um the the, the new coffee house classrooms. We call it flexible seating. And now you, you come into the classroom and and instead of desks and rows like most of you had I mean, now you walk into the classroom and it looks like Starbucks. You've got lounge chairs over here and you've got things over here and the kids are comfortable over there and, they're, and it's inviting. It makes them want to come in and sit down and, and start to learn. And There's some research that suggests, yeah, for some kids that might work. But for other kids, that's an invitation to, you know, Mayhem. My son is a sub, and he hates the classes that have flexible seating. We're seeing more and more of that. And, uh, you know, it's just, you know, off the wall. That's, it's a little bit different way of looking at, at things. It, it's a trend that I think has some positives, but overall, I'm telling you, within five years, they'll throw that out. That didn't work. Let's go on to the next thing. Years ago, uh, Tip City built uh, LT Balls, the name of the middle school. Some of you have ever been over to Tip. Originally, it was built to be an open atmosphere. They didn't have really any walls in there. You walk in, and over here was supposed to be that little class, and over there, be like all of us meeting in this room. Have a classroom here, classroom there. You know, let's get rid of the walls, Let's let's open it up, and... And so they started to do that and they found very quickly the teachers begin to build their own little walls. Little bookcases started to appear, filing cabinets stacked up. So you ended up with little classrooms, you know, kind of blocking them off. They threw that out and went back in there and guess what they built? Built some walls in there. You know, Now we got our own little rooms and stuff. Things continue to change. It's becoming clear that great preaching, a great band, and even lights and all, the, is, that's less of a guarantee of, of growth. The reason cool church is effective for a few decades is because most churches were, frankly, pretty bad. You're going to accuse me of, of, you're judgmental, don't you judge. But I can remember sitting in a church once, singing a hymn. I didn't even understand what we were singing. What's bringing in the sheaves, bringing in, I, I don't, I still don't know what a sheave is. Uh, was it like corn or something, or wheat? Well, there you go. See, I'm not a farmer. I, I, they sing the song, let angels prostrate, fall, and I'm thinking, that sounds like a medical condition, you know, I, I don't know what, <laughs> what, what's going on there, but. I mean, imagine for a minute that you're leading a church, that we're not leading a church. What if this was a great uh, hamburger stand? We got the best burgers in Northridge, in Springfield. But what if the people want to eat pizza? It doesn't matter how awesome our hamburgers are if nobody wants to eat hamburgers. And with the rise of post-Christian America, fewer people want what the church is offering. No matter how great we think the offering is, they just don't want it. You know, a cool church was a bridge to get us out of <laughs> bad church, and and I know some of you love bad church. I mean, that's just tradition. That I get that. But somewhere along the line, we lost track of the gospel. We lost track about what it means to follow Christ. And it became more about everyday life and talking about this and that and and development and, and economics and all of these other things and then we start to look at it through the lens of Christianity a little bit. Again, nothing wrong with that. Unless you've lost sight of the reason... That we're here anyways. That's to follow Christ. Somewhere along the line, many of us confuse mission with the method. What we we do. The the way that we, we have church. Now don't get me wrong. Great preaching. A great worship band. We are so blessed with our band. There's no doubt. Um having a a cool facility, an inviting environment. None of that is bad. It beats having terrible preaching, pathetic music, a dingy facility. I mean, it beats that. But unchurched people are increasingly interested in the mission more than the method. They want to come and meet Jesus. They don't want to come and see our religion. And in the church of God, a lot of people don't care about the kingdom. They don't care about Trinitarian, not Trinitarian. They don't care about that stuff. What they want is to meet Jesus. People have enough cool in their lives. Their whole lives are permeated in it. And a little six, eight-year-old kid pulls out his phone and can whip up more coolness on, on there than I could ever possibly come up with. What they don't have is enough Jesus. So I think the cool churches that make it in the future are going to continue to morph into deeper authenticity, deeper community, deeper love for one another. One of the great challenges for new preachers, and I haven't had a chance to talk to Kyle about this, but I'm sure he's, they probably have had these discussions, is preachers who can't speak to the unchurched We'll preach to a shrinking crowd. If all we do is train our upcoming preachers to preach to the saved, we're not going to be that effective. We have to learn how to preach to, a, to a, a generation, a group of people who do not know Christ. Because just because a church might be growing, that doesn't mean we're accomplishing our mission. Unless, of course, our mission is to attract unhappy Christians from other churches. You don't want to be playing the church hop. I played the church hop a few times. You know, I'm not getting my needs met there. I don't I don't feel blessed. I'm not being fed. So I go to this church, try that out for a little while, start hopping around. Fortunately, I hop back here. You know, one day every church will have to learn how to reach unchurched people because only the unchurched people are going to be left. We've got to figure out how if we want to be effective in doing that. And that's one of the things, one of the reasons I'm glad that we've hired a young man who is way younger than most of us. He has a lot in common with the unchurched. We don't need a preacher to come in here and save uh, people of my age. It'd be great. But if we want to see the church grow and expand, we want to see somebody come in and, and start to lead our young people to get that next generation fired up, to bring them in, to lead them and, and introduce them to Jesus, who Jesus is. That's what they, they want. And hopefully he can speak to that group of people. The other day I had a, uh, one of my kids at school, I got one of my first old jokes. Basically, you're you're getting old, Mr. T. Getting old. I was on top of the press box, and I was coming down out of the press box, and one of my favorite students showed up there, be careful now, don't pop a hip. I'm like, wait a minute, was that an old joke? Maybe. I'm like, oh boy. Being a young teacher, I had a lot of relevance. I find it as the years go by, it's getting harder and harder to relate to youth. I still think of myself as a big kid. But the kids don't anymore. They look at me, and I'm a gray-haired, middle-aged man, and what could he possibly know or care about what's going on in our life? I think preaching is a big part of, you know, trying to, to of course, to reach out to the lost. Um, near 2016, there was a, fa- a famous preacher. If any of you are, are into, like, radio or any of that, there's a, a preacher by the name of Andy Stanley, who, if you remember, Seth loved Andy Stanley. In fact, almost, almost all of his sermons were Andy Stanley messages that he modified and used For the church. And I used to, I'm not an Andy Stanley fan. Okay? But I admire his desire to spread the gospel. But I always found his messages, for me, they were boring and kind of stupid. Kind of cheesy. But I'm someone who's been a Christian for a long, long time. And what Andy Stanley taught people to do was you have to speak to non-Christians. His whole service, his whole message, was to the unchurched. Many people who go to that church of his, uh, they regularly, many of them self-identify, they don't have any pattern of regular church attendance. About 60% of new guests in his church, and now in his network of churches, they're unsaved, unchurched people. And I promise you, if you think you can speak to a group of believers and non-believers in the same way you can speak to just believers alone, you're wrong. We've got to rethink our approach. I mean, think what it would be like. you ever thought about what it would be like to be in church for the first time? I know some of you have, had, have done this. You're in church for the first time with little to no church background. You've got a different moral code operating in your own life. You hear, you're hearing truths that are thousands of years old. You're trying to figure out your life through a very different lens. It's going to be exceptionally difficult. It's going to be difficult for you to connect with churchy people. Many of us grew up in the church. And we have to be helpful and sensitive to those who never grew up in the church. That's why when I'm like, okay, open up your Bibles. to I'm always trying to say, okay, well, this is... You try to find Psalms, it's like halfway through the Old Testament, then you go to the right, and I've had people like, I know where that stuff is. I'm like, yeah, well, there are a lot of people who don't know where Esther is. Sometimes I trick the, those who have been in church a long time, you know. Turn look in the book of Hezekiah, and they're like, what, what? Where is that? Oh, wait a minute, that's not in there. That's, the, that's, that's where the famous uh, verse, God helps those who help himself. That, that's in the book of Hezekiah so <laughs> anyways are we following trends or are we following Christ that's the challenge you know i've I've got tons of papers here but as my daughter reminds me sometimes you know there's a fine line between a long sermon and a hostage situation so I, I got to be be careful here, so if you start doing this, I'll, I'll know, so. Um, <laughs> for decades, church leaders have used Sunday attendance as the measure of effectiveness in ministry. How many people are coming to church? You get a lot of people coming to church, we assume that, well, we're pretty effective, we're doing a good job. The challenge these days is that even committed Christians are attending church less often. When I came in, I sat down. I'm in a lot of empty seats. Committed Christians are attending church less often, which means you can be reaching more people overall, but your attendance may be flat or growing more slowly than you hope, simply because the, the people who come once a week, now they only come a few times a month. In our population, our attendance definitely reflects that. You know, uh, you know, step away from, some people, they point out, well, you start missing church. You know, step away from the church is a, it's a step away from Christ. Uh, I don't want to lay that guilt on anybody. I spent many, many years <laughs> out of the church, kind of one foot in, one foot out. But very rarely do I see an irregular church attendee growing more deeply in their faith and effect, an effectiveness in reaching others from a somebody who's involved and somebody who's there. It happens, but it's kind of rare. Instead of attendance, I think in the future what the new measure will be, and again I haven't talked to Kyle about this, I don't know, Instead of attendance, what about looking at engagement? How engaged are people? I know folks that aren't at church on a regular basis, but man, are they engaged and involved in the church. The ministries that they do, the things that they're involved with, the things that they do for the kingdom, it's amazing. I think engagement will become the new growth engine in the future church. I think if we want our church to grow, we have to stop trying to attract people and start trying to engage people. That requires discipleship. That's an investment in people. Talk about trends. For a while here, the trend was. Here's how we get people involved. Uh, Let's take these new Christians, these new attendees. Let's plug them into a ministry. Get them going. That'll get them. Well, we plug people in, and you get a lot of people who... They're still struggling with their faith and what it means to be a Christian and now we throw responsibilities on them. Oh yeah, now you've got to go and minister in the name of Jesus to these people. I don't even know what that means. I think if we want our church to grow, the emphasis needs to be on engaging people. I think our church has been way ahead of that in other churches, um, so many of you, and I've said it before, I mean, the things that you do for for each other is is amazing. Somebody passes away, the deaconess says, boom, they are on the job. It's like, uh, you know, when I was a little kid, I'd watch uh, the Super Friends Power Hour. And they'd have the the hall of justice and all the superheroes would be there and something came up and boom, they were on the job. And I see that here at this church. So many times if there's a need, people are, they are on the job. But not always. In my own life, I've seen myself where I've failed that. You know, as your lay pastor, I've tried to get the preaching done But there are a lot of things I I couldn't accomplish, that I didn't accomplish, that I really wanted to. I wanted to invest in small groups. I wanted to invest in meeting the needs and visiting people. And uh, it's so irregular that I'm able to do that. Charlie, I haven't been able to visit Charlie. Charlie and I, Charlie, I know you're watching. Charlie and I have been, all summer, have been trying to hook up, just have lunch together. And every Sunday, he comes and he talks about his wife, Nikki. And we know Nikki's not feeling well. And I failed him. And I have failed Nikki because I have not been there for them. I'm, I apologize, Charlie. That bothers me. It's not enough just to come to church. You've got to get engaged. If we're really going to follow Christ we have to do that we have to meet those needs so so who do we listen to do we listen to preachers do we listen to you know the trends what's the key then if we're going to we're supposed to be Christians you know what are we supposed to be doing here at church if you have your bibles please turn to Matthew chapter 4 this is the only verse today that we're going to look at because Jesus at the very beginning of his ministry, he points out exactly what it is that we're supposed to do. Now, I get it. Jesus would later ask people, go into the world, make disciples. you got to reach out to the, to the lost. I get that. We have to do that. But before we do that, we have to do something even more important. Matthew chapter 4. Let me start at verse 18. I know I read this a few months ago, but let's, let's look at this again. Jesus is, uh, he's just had his time in the desert, the devil has tempted him, He sort of passed the test, and he begins his ministry in, uh, in Galilee, and then off into Capernaum, and then he begins to, to, to do different things, asking people to repent. Verse 18, now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he called two brothers, Simon who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. immediately they left their nets and follow him. So what should we do? Who do we listen to? What preacher should we turn on? Who do we, should we turn off? What book should we be reading? What trends as a church do we grab a hold of? What do we do when we as a church are confused? What do we do when we need a new pastor? What do you do when change is the only constant? Jesus himself said it. Follow me. Follow me. Jesus didn't say, look, come follow Billy Graham. Go into the world and find a seeker-sensitive church. Go into the world. Find a church with drums and guitars and singing and dancing. And He certainly didn't say, go follow John Tallis. He invited the disciples to come follow me. Follow Christ. The Bible is filled with admonitions to follow Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Matthew 16. Jesus told the disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. 1 Peter for To this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you may follow in his steps. John chapter 8, again Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 1 John, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him but does not keep his commandments as a liar, and the truth is not in him. Luke chapter 9, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, follow me. John chapter 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And on and on and on it goes. I could probably find you another 30 verses The admonition, when we don't know what to do, when we don't know who to follow, when we don't know what trend to do, let's get our eyes back on Jesus. Let's follow him. So do we ignore Christian ministries? Do we ignore trends and fads and musical forms and Christian celebrities? Of course not. Those things are important, as long as they're pointing the way to Christ. One of my favorite musicians, he's getting pretty long in the tooth, kind of like Michael W. Smith, some of you have heard of him. And uh, Neola and I got to see him about a month ago, and it was so cool. I mean, we were right front row. He's standing here just singing. I'm just like, man, this dude, I'm looking at him, and I'm looking at me, and I'm like, we're getting pretty old, <laughs> I've seen him in concert where he would run, 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 back and forth, and, and it wasn't none of that. But I saw an interview that he gave not too long ago where he was talking about there was a point in his career where his music took a right-hand turn into the secular world. It was a strategic move. A lot of that, you've got to understand, even Christian music is uh, it's governed by, uh, it's part of the music industry. Even Christian labels are owned by Sony, uh, the big music houses, the same ones that do secular music. Christian music to them is just another avenue to make money. And so they have to market it and keep it going to what the people want, and and on and on it goes. Anyway, so he kind of took a right turn into that. And he... Uh, he began to get a lot of the cheering and a lot of that is, is went to his head. And he loved how he would come off the stage and people would be like, man, that was fantastic. Women are loved. We love you, Michael. God, he'd walk off. He thought that was the greatest thing. And at one of these shows, his pastor was there. And his pastor was waiting on him when he got down off the stage and he'd come back there all, yeah. Here, hey guys, Michael W. Smith. you know he got the whole thing going. His pastor's like, "You know that's not you, Michael." And he stopped and he thought about it, and he was right. That was followed by several shows where people uh, started throwing things at him. He said he got hit by a beer bottle in Texas. And he realized, what am I doing? This gift I have was given to me by God to point people to Christ, not to Michael W. Smith, not to rock and roll. And from that moment on, if you know anything about Michael W. Smith, and I don't don't know if many of you do, about every album he's ever done since then has been a worship album. It's been, I mean, 100% Christian-based. I mean, he gave all that up. Because he got back to the idea, follow me. We don't live for ourselves. We have to live for Christ. And we can't follow trends and fads and latch on to this and to that. We have to first follow Christ. And then those other things can be brought in to fill it up. So that leads me back to the main thing I've been trying to get across to you the last year or so. As your pastor, if you want to know Jesus, you have to get comfortable with God's word. Not the latest chorus song, not the latest radio program, not the latest this and that. Get into the Bible. Jesus said, come follow me. I have a bookshelf at home filled with Christian books, magazines, music. None of that convinced me, though, that my life would be better off if I decided decided to follow Christ. It's not been easy. It's filled with daily failures, but I have my eye on the end game. I know that I'm forgiven of my sins because I trust in the power of the death and sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And that's it. Any fads, trends, or messages that tell you that salvation can be found anywhere else than through the gospel as presented in the Bible is false. It's futile to follow it. How much time and effort has been wasted in the church as we allow our culture to shape and mold our church? It's not our culture that's going to lead anybody to Christ. Cool churches, cool preachers aren't going to lead people to Christ. Cool Christian music... Light shows, PowerPoints, seeker-sensitive this and that, none of that's going to lead people to Christ. They might attract people to the church, to our methods, but are they attracting them to the thing that they need most, which is Christ? Now, those methods are useful to the kingdom of God. They create the right atmosphere to where people may stop and listen to the gospel, but in and of themselves, they save nothing. And so, my challenge to you, you know, as you look around again, the next few months are going to go by quick and we're going to be faced with change once again. Kyle and Jamie will be here. We've been praying for them for a year and a half. They're about to make a big step here. In a week or so, they're going to get married. Think of that. How would you like to get married? Start a new job, move across the country to a group of people who are Christians. Christians can be some of the the hardest people to work with. I told you one of my first jobs was at Logos Bookstore. It was an old Christian bookstore. I thought it was the greatest, this was going to be the greatest job in the world. It was the worst job I ever had. You had a Catholic who was always trying to make me feel guilty about something. You had a, a Presbyterian, you know, they were, you had this one, it was every customer, you had to buy the, the King James. And forget about all these other, you got, boy, you need the authentic work. And uh, it just, it got to be crazy to work there. As we move forward, gang, I pray that we'll latch on to Christ. Not Kyle. Not John. Please don't give me any of the Oh John, we don't know what we're going to do when Kyle comes. I know what you're going to do. You're going to follow Christ. Let us return to him. To Christ alone. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this wonderful church. You know how much I love this place and I love these people, God. And I'm I'm blessed to be able to to speak to a group where so many of us have put Christ at the the center of their life. And once again, we're going to be looking at some changes coming up. And it gets confusing. But help us to remember the, the whole simplicity of it. It's all about Christ. Help us to remember that. To put our lives in His care. To trust in Him. This is His church. God, help us to to do our best to live our lives according to your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.